Well, good morning. I could not uh, stand here today <clears throat> without just really expressing my gratitude over this last month to the many, many, many cards um, and expressions of grace and comfort that have been uh, offered to us, and we're just very grateful. And I just need to tell you that today. We continue on in our, our series in the other side of Easter, which is anchored in the, God, the letter of 1 John. And as we do that, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, and we'll get there in a moment. But sometimes... When it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to the, the religious life, the Christian life, sometimes we are so intent on trying to find some great and grand spiritual revelation or spiritual experience that we actually fail to recognize that the most essential truths are often the most simple truths. The plain truth, the simple plain truth. In fact, I think sometimes it's deceptively simple. And I think our temptation is, is when we start to hear common language, when we start to hear stuff that, especially for those who've been in the church for years and years, we begin to hear the language that's our language. We just say, oh, I know. I know. I know that. But today I pray we hear the simple, plain truth in a new way. So can you be open today? Can I be open to some simple truths? Now you've heard the old expression, perhaps. It's time to land that plane. Maybe you've heard that. Most of the time, that's reserved for someone who's perhaps been too long-winded and it's time for them to end their presentation. Now, I must confess, I am sure I have landed many a plane, i.e. sermon, very late. And my guess is, as this letter of 1 John was being read to the recipients, some of the listeners were sitting there listening going, man, this dude's got to land this plane. He's got to finish this up. I mean, John has been kind of rambling on. When you read the whole letter, he's like rambling on. He's in and out of these ideas and these concepts. And, hey, let's talk about love over here. Let's talk about the world over here. Let's talk about this over here. And he just seems to be like this rambling man. And it's time for him to land the plane. So what we find in our passage in 1 John today is we find uh, John, we're, we, we kind of join him in the middle of his attempt to land the plane, to bring everything to conclusion. But as has been said in many ways, people often say some of the most important things at the end. Now we're going to visit 1 John one more time next week as we come to Pentecost Sunday and we talk of the Holy Spirit's coming and we're going to come back because the reality is, is everything that we have heard, everything we've been looking at since Easter in 1 John, the only way it can be accomplished is by the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's basically the whole sermon next week. That doesn't give you permission not to tune in or attend. That's basically kind of it. 
And we're going to see that in, in 1 John. But here, John gives a word that offers us encouragement for living our lives in the everyday world. Now, if you have a question whether or not the words of John that he has offered to us are made for real life, he makes sure that we don't miss that they are. But you may need to look close to find it. It's actually deceptively simple. This is the word of the Lord to us from 1 John, beginning at chapter 5, verse 9. And as I said, we're kind of interrupting him in the middle of this landing of the plane. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you hear those words that we're so familiar with? Believe, testimony, eternal life. Those are all words that we throw around sometimes in Christian circles and Christian faith. Well, let's see what they may say to us. Because this passage actually challenges me to ask one question at the start. And the question is this. My faith is built on what? I'm going to ask you to ask yourself that question honestly. What is your faith built on? Now, this passage has a discomfort level to it. It feels like, as John nears the end, he wants to make sure that his readers understand one thing. You can, you can feel the intensity, the passion, the longing in his words. He is not pulling punches. Everything he has been speaking of is anchored not in some religious belief system, not in some emotional experience, not in some superior spiritual knowledge. Those are all things that he's combating. In fact, it's much more than that. Everything he's been speaking of is much more concrete than that. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now we can immediately default to looking at that on the negative side and say, you know, you don't have the Son, you don't have life. That's what it says. It's pretty clear. But that's not his point. You see, earlier John says that the superior testimony is found in God himself. It's a little complex in some ways. It says this in 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now there's been controversy, there's been debate over that verse of Scripture forever. What does this mean? And everyone has their opinion on what it means. But when you look at the passage and you look at the context He's talking about the very expression of God's grace to the world. Jesus himself, spirit, water, blood, it's all mixed together. Jesus himself, 
Those are graphic terms used by someone who said this earlier at the very beginning of this letter. John said he's heard it. He's seen with his own eyes. He said he's looked at it. His hands have touched Jesus. This echoes back to the phrase we usually reserve for Christmas. The words from Matthew chapter 1. They will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. God with us. Jesus Christ himself. Our life. Verse 11, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. What is your faith built upon? What is your faith standing upon? Is it standing upon your religious heritage, your your church heritage? Is it standing upon your good works? Is it standing upon your knowledge of the Bible? What is your faith standing upon? Is it standing upon you just wanting to be a good person? What is your faith? What is my faith standing upon? Now that may seem like an odd question to ask of people gathered under the banner of faith in Christ. But let's remember this letter is being sent to a people who were gathered under a banner of faith. And to those people, John writes this in verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. Now, I kind of referred to this earlier. But when we see words repeated in passages of Scripture, you know what they're like whenever you see a word repeated? They're like the little kid on the playground, right? And we're picking sides. Like, if I'm picking sides today, I'm, I'm, and I'm getting ready to, like, do anything athletic, like, I'm saying, I'm picking Trevor. So I'm letting you know ahead of time, he's on my team, right? The rest of you guys can pick Joe. I'm picking Trevor, right? But, but it's like the little kid who's on the playground who's going like this, oh, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. When you see a word repeated in the Bible like that, it's, it's like with a little child with their hand up saying, pick me, please. Well, the word for us that's that little kid on the playground in this passage is the idea and the word of belief. In 1 John, the word belief is repeated seven times, and that's significant. But in all the writings of John, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, it is listed 93 times. And so belief is serious business. Remember I told you earlier that sometimes the truths that really matter are deceptively simple? Especially when you become overly familiar? Well, belief is serious business. Why? I mean, it's obvious here. Because it carries more weight in life and in discovering true life than simply some agreement to a doctrine or an assent of a religious belief system. According to what we're reading, it's a direct connection to life. Now, the word belief to you and me in our day, and really belief in our world, is a religious word. 
we see it as a theological word. We think this word is a word that causes us to default to an agreement to a set of beliefs. But here's a secret. The word that John uses for belief is actually not a religious word at all. In fact, it's not really spiritual in its origin. Because the idea of belief in the ancient world of John was much more earthy. And this is what I mean by that. You see, it's an idea that's beyond the idea in our world of fitting a spiritual life that kind of fits around my life. It's beyond that idea, which is kind of, we say, you know, whatever you want to believe, you believe. Whatever you want to believe, you believe. It's more than this idea of a spirituality that fits my life. It's, it's not a set of rules to keep that I now say I do this because I believe and so I'm going to do this. This is my belief, these rules. Or, or, or it's not even beliefs that I like. Especially what it is not. It's not a belief in propositional truths about Jesus. Just the idea of Jesus. You see, the language that's used here is not religious language. It's relational language. Belief for these people, as John's writing this, belief is wrapped up in one word. And we should probably sometimes substitute the word. In fact, wherever you find this word belief in John's writings, substitute the word trust. 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 That's not theological language. That's relational language. Trusting God because we can look at the life of Christ and we can know that God loves us. We can trust that God loves us. Because he has given himself for us. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, because on the other side of the resurrection, we know that God is a present tense reality. Someone said it this way, find in Jesus not an idea, but one on whom your faith can rest. And I don't know if that's strong enough. I would say it this way, find in Jesus not an idea, but one on whom your life can rest. And so we hear from the psalmist today, and then next thing you know, we hear a worship team singing, all the way my Savior leads me. We we don't say, all the way my beliefs lead me. Right? Right? We don't say, all the way my good works lead me. We don't say, all the way my religious heritage leads me. We, We don't say, All the way, my my efforts to change the world lead, lead me. We say all the way, my Savior, our Savior leads us. Because when we make Jesus the foundation of life, we have life. That's what we heard. When relationship to him is what defines us, we have life. We have life right in the midst of the mess of life. We have life even when we feel more like death is reigning over us. 
We have life. It's not based on how I feel. It's not based in any of that. And John expressly makes the point that everything he has been writing about is to affirm that truth. It takes us back to the Gospel of John and in his conclusion about the whole reason he's writing what he's writing, he says this in chapter 20. It says that these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's pretty simple. That you may have life in his name. Zoe, life, the fullness of life. And so the words of Edward Motes ring true. Now, you may not know who Edward Motes is, but you sang his words today. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Those words are timeless. You can put them to whatever tune you want to put them to. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So we come back to the question, my faith is built on what? Probably the wrong question, right? We probably should be saying my faith is built on who? Or on whom? Because, you know, there is a lot of sinking sand that we can build our lives upon. And a lot of it has religious connotation to it. That's sinking sand. But we need to be like the Apostle Peter who said to Jesus, when when people were turning away from Jesus, left and right, Jesus asks them a valid question. He says, so, are you going to? Are you going to bail as well? And his response, Peter's response is, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We have come to, and there it is, we have come to believe, we have come to trust And we've come to know, which is existential knowledge. We have come to trust and we've come to experience that you are the Holy One of God. We have nowhere else to go. So remembering that these words are spoken to church people, we must ask ourselves an honest question. My faith is built on what? Or who? Because you see, the reason why that's so important, because what God wants to offer us, what God wants us to encounter, is the here and now and forever life. The here and now and forever life. You know, we look at our passage, and there's that little kid again raising their hand on the playground saying, Pick me. Well, there's another kid here, and the kid is the word testimony that we've heard repeated over and over again. Just as John is very fond of the word belief, he is also very fond of the word testimony. In this passage alone, he uses it six times. In all of his writings, he uses the verb or noun form some 61 times. Now, why is all that kind of information important? Because again, again, we're talking about serious stuff, and we're talking about some deceptively simple, basic truths that are important. But here's the heart of it. The root of that word testimony comes from the word martyr. It's the same root, martyr. 
It suggests, now hear this, that God and we are on trial before the world. And there's a testimony to be had. And if we learned anything from our walk with John, there is a very specific way that God has testified to the world. Remember in chapter 4, these words, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We saw it also at the very beginning of 1 John in verse 2 of chapter 1. This life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify to it. And we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. And how was that life, how was that eternal life revealed? Through love of a father and a son giving himself. Now many have said it different ways. But what we must understand is that eternal life is not simply reserved for the afterlife. Frankly, in this world of ours, I was, I was trying to imagine what, how we process this whole idea of eternal life sometimes, especially in our culture, sometimes in our church culture. I think sometimes it is tempting to be like a person who jumps in the water, goes underwater, and just simply holds their breath, holds their nose, holds their breath, surrounded by all kinds of water, just holding their breath, waiting to come up for air. I think we are tempted sometimes to be that way, just to kind of hold our breath in the world around us, waiting for eternal life, putting all of our eggs in the basket of going to heaven, waiting for eternal life to bail us out of the mess of this world. I think sometimes we're that way. But that's not what we have here. Eternal life, as we read this passage, is here and beyond here. It is now and it is then. Eternal life begins here. Eternal life is a quality of life that is found in Jesus. In verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. To love Jesus is to know God and to know this life is to live the quality of life that has been repeated over and over and over and over in John. How do we know love? Jesus gave himself for us. How does the world know love? How does testimony come forth to the world? We give our lives for Jesus and for the world. And that is why the word of testimony is so important. It is true. We must hold to orthodox truths. John says that. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the Lord. Jesus Christ is the author of salvation. Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. We trust that to be true because we trust Jesus to be alive. It's not just a set of beliefs. 
We have seen him. We have touched him. We have heard of him. We have witnessed him. We've watched what he's done in our lives. Find Jesus and you find life. We trust this to be true because we trust him to be alive today. We trust in the character of Jesus for what we've seen witnessed to us by him. And what we believe is true of him today. We trust that. But there's something else here. We not only need to have a sound orthodoxy. Because John says, I write these things to you who trust in the name of the Son of God. But we also need to have what would be called a sound orthopraxy. What do I mean by that? Simply that eternal life is present right now in Jesus. He goes on and says, so that you may know, present tense, that you have eternal life. And because that is true, thinking right about Jesus cannot be separated from living right for Jesus. Let me say it again. Thinking right about Jesus cannot be separated from living right for Jesus. Eternal life is, yes, made for heaven. Anyone who thinks they can describe what heaven is actually like, I would run away from them. Because I, I don't know that we fully understand that. There's some mystery. We need to embrace that. But I know this, that this life, this eternal life, extends into eternity, forever and ever, with Christ. But it doesn't start out there. It starts right here with my life. Eternal life is not only intended for heaven, eternal life is intended for the sweat, blood, and tears of life. It's intended for the messiness of relationships. It confronts the hopelessness and despair of the world around us and and the culture of unbelief that we swim in every day. Tomorrow morning, some of you are going to get up in the morning and you're going to go swimming in a culture of unbelief. Eternal life is made for that swim. And what it does is it dares us to declare this. Verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. It dares us to walk into a world that is rooted in a culture of death in many ways. And it says, whoever has the Son has life. There's life to be had. Belief equals, according to what we're reading and according to the truth of the gospel, belief equals having Jesus. So when you walk out of here today, what is it that you're trusting? What is it that you have that's going to give you life? Because a set of beliefs is not going to do that. Do we need to know what we believe? Absolutely. So don't hear that. But if that's not rooted in having Christ, on Christ the solid rock I stand, then we haven't yet discovered life. And because we have Jesus, not a religious tradition, or a personal spirituality, or some grand theological insight, because we have Jesus, we possess eternal life right now. And that should alter how we live 
It all begins with where I stand. Check that, check that. It all begins with on whom I stand. Life in his name, based off of his character, based off of his faithfulness, based off of his very person, leaning into the life that is Jesus. And that, my friend, in a world of sinking and shifting sand is our solid ground. Jesus. It's so obvious. It's so familiar that sometimes we make it more complicated than it must be. On Christ, the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Where in your life today, where in your life today do you need to stand on solid ground? How is it today that you need to take your faith beyond just the belief system, beyond even what you think your spiritual life should be. Taking it beyond that belief system to a trust in Jesus himself. Life has a way of stripping away so many things that we think will carry us and causing us to reach down deep to that solid ground. Our worship team is going to come. In these recent weeks when I was with my mother, we went to the ocean, watched the sunset. And I went out in the water and the water was a little rough, wasn't too bad, but a little rough. And there's this spot where it just dropped off. And I kind of walked out a little bit. And next thing you know, the waves were at my feet and they were trying to un- unearth my feet. And you know what I was doing? I was looking for solid ground. And I, in the midst of that turbulent sand, I suddenly found rock. And I stood up on that to kind of get my bearings and then went back to safety. Jesus, Jesus is our rock to stand on. He is that always and already. In the closing song, always, these simple words, oh my God, He will not delay my refuge and strength always. Where do you need to stand on the solid rock that is Jesus today? Where is it, how is it today that you need to take your faith beyond just a belief system and to trust Jesus today? May the Lord in his spirit 
meet each one of us today to trust Jesus Christ for who he is, the Son of God. To discover eternal life, the here and now and forever life that carries us and gives us a place to stand, even in the turbulent waters. Thanks be to God. Amen.